mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline and do you have some kind of businesswoman special? Joining me is my own giant baby girl who smokes and says shit a lot. It's Richard Macon. Hi, back brace girl. <laughs> Hi, back brace girl. <laughs> Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on to talk about one of the most formative movies of my entire life, personality, history, culture, religion, you know everything my heart is thumping out of my chest (laughs) right now my husband asked me before i left today whether i was nervous to come and do this because i'm a huge sentimental garbage fan and thanks and the answer is no but i am sort of vibrating in that same way spiritually and physically that you do when you're like in the middle of a conversation or an argument Mm. and you realize you're not going to get to say everything you want to say (gasps) Oh, so I'm already yeah. panicked that I've got too much to give you. <laughs> that, if, if it helps, I frequently come onto this podcast with that energy, okay, and good. Uh, I do think it's like you know you can't you can you you can't pl- overplan a conversation. Do no, you know what I mean like no, exactly. I, I can tell this movie means a lot to both of us. There's so much mm-hmm. like the more I watch this, the more. It's not like, yes, there's a lot there on screen, but I just keep digging tunnels underneath what's already there. I'm like, oh, and this Simpsons sure. director did it and that I'll see, you know, okay. Yeah. What? Let's just begin at the very beginning. <laughs> Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Yes. Where, why, when, how, how did this movie touch you, move you? Okay. So 1997 mm-hmm. is when Romy and Michelle yeah. dropped. Mm-hmm. I was a 10 year old provincial mm-hmm. gay boy mm-hmm. at that point. Kind of still am. Um, and I definitely didn't watch this on the cinema. I don't think it even really aired in the UK, mm. maybe. It was it was definitely a VHS experience for mm. me. Possibly in a caravan somewhere in Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, and to begin with, this obviously connected with me because we're here right now. Mm-hmm. But to begin with, my appreciation of Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion was very much, I don't know, surface level because... These were two beautiful women making funny noises and wearing bright Mm -hmm. colours. And then as I grew as a person, I'm already over-intellectualising this movie. No, this is what we do here. (laughs) This is the the jam. As I grew as a person, uh, I sort of grew into my love and into Mm. my understanding of Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. Should we just call it Romeo and Michelle from now on? Yeah. Because it's too long. Smart. Um, A smart editorial choice from you. And yeah, it's just, it's probably the movie that I've watched the most. No, let's say that again. It's definitely the movie that I've watched the most out of any movie Mm. on planet Earth. I often describe it as it's the the only movie that I can always watch and always willingly watch, including immediately after just watching it. Mm -hmm. So... It's mm-hmm. integral to my uh, to my being, to my personhood. Okay. <laughs> no, I see what I here's what I 
love about doing this podcast is that like so Romy and Michelle's Romy and Michelle as we're calling mm-hmm. it because we're on first name mm-hmm. basis is with this movie um, is a movie that is like a cult classic among people who really care about comedy right. like there's nobody out there who knows anything about comedy who will try and tell you this movie is bad mm-hmm. like only a very dumb person would tell you this movie is dumb Yeah, um, but there are some people who appreciated it as the VHS cult classic Lisa Kudrow vehicle that mm-hmm. it that it is and there are some people who it is like it is the Rosetta Stone for understanding who yeah, they are. Yeah, exactly. And that's when something becomes sentimental garbage. It's not the thing itself. It's how you feel about it so is true. embarrassingly, overwhelmingly, emphatically emotional. And that's what yeah. I love about doing this podcast. I mean, I also feel sort of guilty and sort of imposter syndrome for being here because it is such a feminine movie about women made in a large part by women for women. Mm-hmm. And so... I do kind of feel like an imposter as a gay man being here. But I think what's important to to my appreciation of this movie is that sort of, as you often cover on this podcast, it began as a guilty pleasure. It yeah. began as something that I was embarrassed to like because it was naff, you know, it was like yeah. a, it wasn't a blockbuster. It wasn't Did you go to a boys' cinema. school? No, I didn't. Okay. But I went to a northern... Yeah. Um, you know, state Yeah, school. this is not a movie you're going to like... It, I'm not going to tell have a people. t-shirt and yeah. on clothes day, am I? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but as I sort of became more comfortable with my queerness, mm. this, my sort of, cons- the conspicuous nature of my appreciation for this movie just grew and grew and grew and I became less ashamed of loving yeah. this movie to the point where now... I'm a flaming gay and I'm a flaming Romeo and Michelle fan. And I guess we'll touch on that as we as we go yeah. along and why that is and what it is about this movie that speaks to the ladies, the gaydies and the theydies. But but it, yeah, it's it, I've it's grown with me and I've grown with it, if that makes sense. It it makes it really makes sense and I feel, you know, I'm not I'm not a gay man, but I certainly I, I, I think of myself as a real friend of friends of Dorothy, mm. you know? <laughs> and and um, I, w- when I was young, I found that there was this collection of movies and this was one of them. Another one would have been Death Becomes Her. Oh, 100%. Sort of vibrant VHS cult classics mm. starring like improbably talented women. Yeah. But because of the patriarchy and patriarchal cinematic worldviews, these movies kind of got kicked under the VHS yeah. shelf, really, or into the bargain bin. Yeah. And they became, when I reached my early 20s, these huge tools with which me and gay men would, would bond. Yeah, 100%. It's also It also became a tool for me personally to bond with other gay men. Yeah. I didn't really know any gay men until I don't know my mid twenties. I was yeah. very much like a only gay, only gay yeah. in the village, literally. <laughs> um, and it became something that I'm sure you do this all the time. But you know, it, you accidentally quote it to somebody. Yeah. Somebody says, "I got this tie for a pound," and you go, "You paid a whole dollar for that?" <laughs> and suddenly you're best friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's almost like it's like a pop culture version of the hanky code. Yeah, you know what I mean? oh, 100%. <laughs> 100%. Like, are you safe? Are we safe together? 
It's a really good tool, isn't it? You can just drop those quotes at the beginning of any any yeah. sort of touchy conversation and you know. You or know even like safe. when you're in a situation like a like a work situation yes. and you sort of like throw out an old businesswoman special just to see yeah. if anyone bites and you're like, Okay, well we're simpatico on, on a base level. But this was um this was my first and most important sleepover movie. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me and my best friend Mags, we rented this when we were seven years old and it, like you it was like we were just obsessed with it and we would repeat lines to each other that we didn't understand mm. like I'm the Mary and you're the Rhoda yeah. like we had no consensus of the Mary Tyler Moore show it didn't or, matter didn't yeah. matter it was but because we understood what they were saying and I think what's so important is that you you get into that credit sequence and it's everything is so bright and it's almost the way they live and they're just watching Pretty Woman and like it's so important that they're like they're as obsessed with media as we are yes. kind of thing. And this this movie is to me what Pretty Woman is to, to them. them. Yes. And In I, the, I la- nothing that makes me laugh so much makes me cry so much. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I was I was full disclosure rewatching this movie on the way here on the train. <laughs> Good. It takes me an hour and a half to get here. The movie is 91 a minutes. Tight 90. Perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. Um and uh I, I was obviously laughing out loud. I was that yeah. guy many times on the train, laughing out loud. But also, I nearly cried a few times. Like, I cry a lot so... watching this movie. Yeah, I think I just love them. I just love them. I yeah. love Romeo and Michelle, and I'm so protective of them. And I think, in part, I'm protective of them because I sort of see, I see what we were supposed to think about them. I see yeah. the way that this movie was pitched. It was pitched as you know, female Dumb and Dumber or like... Mm, female um, Wayne's World. Blonde Bill and Ted, you know, yeah. Bimbo Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. And they are so much more than that. They yeah. are so much smarter and so much more complicated and complex and full of love and full yeah. of, you know, they're so different from each other even that, I, you know, I get so protective of them and I want people to know them the way that I know them. Yeah, I... <laughs> I oh my god! I just I really feel, yes yes, and like it sort of breaks every rule of of mainstream comedy yeah. that there is. Like mm-hmm. the point, like if we think of a of a Dumb and Dumber or, or a Bill and Ted or whatever, the point is that you get these like silly, schlubby, dumb characters. Yeah who are often, like, if it's, like, a Dumb and Dumber, they're often, like, incredibly selfish, mm-hmm. weird, misanthropic, fucked-up people. And mm-hmm. we're not supposed to... We we enjoy them because they're funny, but we don't want to be them. We don't learn from we them. We don't learn from them and... Um, you know, whatever, and then and then what what was supposed to happen is that they go on an, on a escapade of some kind, yeah. and they learn in a way to be different and how to love, and there's generally a love interest, and mm. then it all kind of gets wrapped up. And like even the silliest, dumbest comedies need to have the spine of like a hero's journey going right. through it. Right. But this is a hero's journey in which the two characters learn that they don't need to change. Yeah. That like actually they were perfect as they were. And I think that's as well, going back to the queerness of it, because this is, whether you like it or not, yeah. an incredibly queer movie. I don't know if they realised that in making it, but mm. it but it is in a lot of ways. And I think, to me, yes, this is a movie about breaking free from your hometown in order yeah. to become the person that you are. It's also a movie about pretending to be something you're not to impress people that you already hate. Yeah. Which I know... 
ex- I know how to do. I've done it my yeah. whole life. Yeah. <laughs> I've done it. That's what being a provincial gay in yeah. the 90s was all about. But, you know, it's it, it's also weirdly in a very... It's also a movie about people figuring out that the toolkit that you put together in order to survive high school yeah. is actually super valuable not just in not just in a you know relationship way but yeah. also in like a commercially capitalistic viable way they made dresses in order yeah. to survive high school and then suddenly they they've got a shop on Rodeo Drive <laughs> or or whatever and I, I drank custard behind the news agents to get through high school and now I'm a chef. So oh, <laughs> these, wow. these are these yeah. are these are the threads I think that tie me to this to this movie. No, you're you're so <laughs> you're so right. And like yeah, when I think of the things that like got me through school is is like rewatching movies like this. Yeah. And and your death becomes her and all these kind of like silly, strange, marginal, but now classic, considered mm. classic movies. And now like m- so much of my life is just liking these things out loud for money. Yeah. Oh my God. And ain't, ain't life grand, you know? <laughs> yeah, you did it. You're, you're Heather Mooney enjoying cigarettes her entire life and then realising she can make a career out of it. <laughs> I am Heather Mooney. Do we, do we, do we need to, yeah. Go through Let's briefly go... what the plot even is for people who don't know this movie or I find that very hard to believe. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but like as a yeah, you're right. Should we uh, elevate a pitch it? Should yes. Would you like to elevate a pitch it? You seem like you're ready. It sounds like I'm ready, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> okay, so Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion on the on the, the purest surface level mm-hmm. of understanding is a movie about Two lifelong best friends who are valley girls and who pretend to be successful inventors and businesswomen in order to impress their fellow alumni Mm -hmm. at their high school, the 10 year -year high school reunion in Tucson, Tucson. Arizona, (laughs) (laughs) which I only know how to pronounce because of this movie. Uh Um, Same went for Alan Cumming, apparently. Fun fact. He didn't know how to pronounce Tucson before he did this movie. (laughs) Um... And uh, ultimately, their li- big lie is is revealed. But mm-hmm. also in that revelation, they realise that they didn't need to do the big lie. They were good enough all all along. Yeah. Yeah. And when you talk about the sort of a queer allegory of this movie, I think there's... Um... There's this thing where like, so we, we we open in on, on them and they're watching pretty women, pretty women? They're watching, they're pretty women watching pretty women yes, exactly. um, in their like little matching twin beds in their like gorgeous, brightly coloured apartment. And it really feels like you have um pulled back the front of a dollhouse and you're oh. like, oh, and there's Romy and my, Romy and my doll and my Michelle doll. And here they are in their twin beds. In a large you know? part, thanks to uh, David Merkin, the director, who yeah. did that incredible opening shot yes. that comes into Venice Beach over the sea, over the mm. boardwalk and into their bedroom window. Have no idea how he did that. Is it that song "Perfect Day" as well? Which no, I feel. No, you're. I'm thinking of Legally Blonde. You're aren't thinking of Legally Blonde. It's no doubt. Yes, it's no doubt. Just a girl. Yeah. Yes. And he famously, well, not famously, famous to you, famous to me. Um, he got the rights to that song before No Doubt had had dropped. No. And the studio went into it, but when 
by the time you know they came to releasing the movie or at least editing the movie no doubt had had become huge yeah and uh, the studio were like well can we get more can we get more of their songs and the director was like no these guys are the biggest band in the world right now do not even get in touch with them because they will strip our rights from, they will, for yeah, this song because they've forgotten that they gave this to <laughs> yeah. us wow i yeah. love that i know and i love that as well if you i noticed this on my latest watch as well was is that the the music at the beginning of the movie is very 90s it's very then it's very yeah. like sort of present day but the mu- the music in the middle of the movie as they're sort of regressing and yes, going becomes back very in time, 80s yeah in line with the mixtape that Michelle makes yeah. for the for the road trip mm-hmm. and then at the end when the you know let's fold scarves and they've succeeded and they've come out the other end and they've got this boutique it's this like super 90s dance track this upbeat almost even early noughties dance yes, track yes yes like present past future they had to go back to see how far they had come oh and that was the podcast (laughs) (laughs) there's your soundbite wow that's beautiful very beautiful that's so beautifully put but like what they they love their lives Mm. and it's so and this the the, the simplicity of their dialogue is just so delicious and yummy and also it's like because i think lots of people fall in love with this movie when they're children Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not as ridiculous to you that the fact that their their exchanges are things like I hate throwing up in public. Oh, me too. <laughs> like that sort of yes. seems like kind of a genuine piece of dialogue when you're a seven-year-old. You're like, oh, yeah. I hate throwing up in public because it's like so unbelievably stupidly obvious. And I think it's so important that that's the line that people latch onto so often yeah. because that's the... Do you, do you know much about where Romy and Michelle came yes, from? Yes, yes. Because that's directly... So yeah. Romy and Michelle are, were two ancillary ca- characters in a in a play yeah well they, they started Room. off as being a, a an improv creation of the groundlings yes where lisa kudrow and the writer of this movie robin shift first met as mm-hmm. part of a troupe they they kind of emerged naturally during an exercise yeah. the exercise was so funny to people that oh me too yeah. kind of thing and people were just so robin shift remembers being like people were just so overjoyed to see these people in a way i had nothing i had created before yeah. and so they became this play yeah i mean they were seven minutes of the first of the original version version of this play and every they got a, you know an, a welcome applause every time they entered the stage so immediately obvious yeah. that these were two you know these were the stars really which is which is funny because it's like they are we're living in a it's like a great bimbo era at mm-hmm. this point it's like this is a real emergence of the bimbo with the heart of gold because we had clueless the uh, like two years prior yes. and um you know, who else am I thinking of as well? Well, Heathers as Heathers. well had happened. That was more 80s. But yeah. it was... Do you think that it was as fond of bimbos as we are now? Because... This is a hard thing to say because, like... it's cause, Because, again, you and I watched this movie as very young children. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know what exactly they were originally pitching it as in terms of like who are we laughing at because I feel so firmly yeah. that I'm on their side they're my friends and they're my We're Barbie dolls yeah, yeah 100% yeah this feels like like if if the like BFI were doing you know inspired by the Barbie movie here's mm-hmm. our retrospective of like Barbie-ish movies yeah this feels like it would be in there and so would like Legally Blonde and Slow with Clueless you know they're very important movies of like showing someone that you don't have to that like these beautiful characters who are silly and often vapid but are so full of heart and who we're so on the side of you know and are worth rooting for yeah nonetheless and 
Yeah, I think in part that conflict of interest or that confusion comes from the fact that, in my opinion, Robin Schiff, the the writer, I think she was laughing with them. Yeah. And I wonder if the director, David Merkin, was laughing at them because he's very, he's a Simpsons director, like you said. Yeah. Which is very much sort of laughing at the characters. So I don't agree. Oh, we're going to fight. Oh, I knew this was going to happen. This so is I'm, why I was vibrating. I'm a huge um, Simpsons fan. Mm-hmm. And I think that like a huge part of the reason why this movie works as well as it does is because it's David Merkin. Okay. I mean, obviously... You're- oh, same. No, I, yeah. t- I totally agree. I'm totally with you. But I just... I guess maybe it was the studio that was laughing at them. Yeah. And that was definitely how it was how it was sold to the general public. And t- like, have you seen the trailer for this movie? It's... Terrible. Really? What, what, what's the they just vibe? Get it, they just get it so wrong. It, it's exactly what we said. They pitch it as dumb and dumber, but yeah. f- with estrogen. Yeah. And it's and it's it's just so wrong because that's just totally not what it is. Yeah. Where they're so much smarter than that, and I don't know. It's so much more sensitive than that kind of you know stupid buddy buddy movie. Yeah. And and the real heart of it becomes so evident when they like. They get the invite to the 10-year reunion mm-hmm. and they are like, oh, everyone's going to be so jealous of us. This is going to be great. And like, we didn't really enjoy ourselves back in high school, but we always had fun with each other. Yeah. Let's go back and like show them all what babes we are. Yeah. And then doing this questionnaire and realizing that maybe they haven't achieved or done as much as they had thought. And um, going back to this kind of queer allegory thing, it really, putting watching it again last night, it really put me in mind of a conversation I had with a close friend recently um, who is queer and who sort of said to me, they were like, um, sometimes I feel like, you know, I look around and like, what have I really done? Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm, and this is a person who had like a very storied and very hard background. Right. And I, I couldn't believe they were saying this to me because I was like, you, you've survived. Yeah. Like you, you survived everything that you, yeah. that you've been through that mm-hmm. is both does and doesn't have anything to do with your sexuality. Um, and like, how could you not see yeah. what I, you know, how could you not see what I see kind of thing? And it really does feel like this reassuring thing of like, surviving is enough. Getting out is enough. It doesn't really matter what you do once you get out. Yeah. Once you're not under the clash of like an oppressive small town mentality where in Michelle's word, words, everyone looks like they're going to a hoedown all the time. Yes. Like that's <laughs> like enough. An, yeah, exactly. And I think for for many years as everyone does, I played who am I? Am I am I Romeo or am I Michelle? Yeah. And I think what's so gorgeous about this movie is that actually I'm both of them. You know, yeah. like inside you there are two wolves. One <laughs> one is called Romeo, one is called Everyone Michelle. Talks like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, and I say that because Romy's character is exactly what you described. It's that sort of self-doubt. It's that mm. introspective, like, oh, God, what are people going to think? Like, we've yeah. not done anything with our lives. Like, yeah. And Michelle, there's this gorgeous scene when they're filling out those questionnaires that you just mentioned where, yeah. you know, Romy says, oh, God, now that I look at this, I don't know how impressive our, our lives are. And Michelle, like, looks over at Romy's questionnaire as if to say, like, Really? Like, yeah. is yours different from mine? Because mine yeah. looks great. And uh, Michelle is this, like, sort of, de- as they call it, deludinoid, <laughs> but but in a, the most beautifully innocent, peaceful sort of, yeah. um, I don't know, peaceful way. And I have both of those people inside me. And I I love that moment in the tail end of the movie where Michelle finally steps up to Romy yeah. and says... 
well, can, do you think you can stop being such a baby? Yeah. And yeah. she says, you know, I've been chasing you around. I didn't even know my life wasn't that great until you told me it wasn't. I've been, I've been doing this for you. I've been trying to make this work for you. Turns out, I think we're great. I think we're awesome. Yeah. And I, that's sort of my own mantra. Do you think you can stop being such a baby? To myself yeah. all the time. I have to keep that Romy in check because, you know, it's nothing wrong with a bit of ambition to sort of take you out of high school. But yeah. just, just listen to Michelle sometimes. She's right. Oh, it's so beautiful. And it is such a, such a lovely, like a lo- wonderful love song to the codependent friendship oh. of like, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm a real monogamist mm-hmm. and I, I've been that way with partners, romantic partners, but I've also always been that way with best friends. Like I always have like incredibly intense marriages sure. to my best friends yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. And this was very much how me and my best friend were, you mm-hmm. know, we for definitely through primary school and for the first half of secondary school, it was kind of just us, yeah. you know, and... We and like we used to play Romy and Michelle like behind yeah. a tree in our primary school. And then and, the dance moves. And and the da- yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. I I feel like there's like a a modern criticism of that kind of friendship or that kind of behavior, but like there's really not enough appreciation for how much just one person can hold you for so long. Yeah, you know, a hundred percent. And again, going back to the queer thing, like that's kind of how I survived high school. Yeah, like I found. I found my Michelle or my Romy. Yeah, depending on the day. Depending on the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Depending on which hat I was wearing. And um, yeah, and she guided me through high school and I guided her through high school. Yeah. And we almost became the same person in, in a lot of ways. But, you know, you hold each other accountable. Yeah. And the bit that I nearly cried at on the on the train just now coming in is that moment when... They're at their prom, their the senior flashback. prom. One of the first of many flashbacks first of dream of sequence. Many flashbacks. <laughs> they are at the prom, and Romy plucks up the courage to ask Billy Christensen yeah. to dance with her because it's the last night of school, and and he says yes, and she's surprised because he's yeah. such a jock and he's so out of her league, and then he just doesn't come. He just doesn't come and dance, and they just, yeah. as she says, we just waited and waited, yeah. and then. You know, she realizes he's not coming. <laughs> Michelle says, "Do you want me to go and check if he's puking in the bathroom?" <laughs> and when she realizes that that's not happening, yeah. And Michelle, oh god, I'm gonna go. No, I'm gonna go as well. And Michelle says, "I'll dance with you, Romy." And the embrace that they do oh on god. the dance floor, and yeah. the way that her head just flops into her friend's shoulder, yeah. and it's so vulnerable. Ooh. <laughs> no it's so and it's like it it just breaks so many rules of like a a comedy this broad should not have a moment that emotional and that it's so vulnerable yeah it really and it's so early in the movie it's like it's like up it's like we shouldn't care about these people so much yet but we do because we were those people we were those yeah and you know that bit at the end sorry I'm totally monopolising this conversation no it's your conversation to be had (laughs) that moment at the end where you know they have this resolution and people they're wearing those beautiful outfits at the reunion and they've decided to go back in as themselves and and they stick up for themselves and they get the You're support. a bad person with an ugly heart. We don't give I mean, a people are like, fuck, fuck what, what you think. think. 
And suddenly all of the other misfits from around the school come out and say, we really do like those outfits. And they needed that confidence. It's like... It's like the contagious nature of confidence and of standing up for yourselves. They come out. They come out and they support Romeo and Michelle in that moment. And it's just beautiful. It's so It's just so gorgeous. It's such a beautiful resolution. And, you know, so much of that wasn't supposed to be in there. The original the original screenplay, they just sort of they didn't. They didn't get their boutique. Boutique at the end. What did they? What happened in the original screenplay? They just flew off in Sandy Frink's oh, helicopter. Right. Yeah. If you haven't watched this movie, this sounds so <laughs> wild. <laughs> they just sort of fly off, and there's no. Yeah. There's no. We're not really ever told what their value is, and although it is very much like a capitalistic value, yeah, yeah. they can they can run a business. <laughs> You know, it's it, false carbs. It's beauty. It's beautiful. It's like yeah. they have they have worth and they realize it and it's gorgeous. It's so nice. It's so gorgeous and it's so funny. Yeah. Like can we can we talk about who your favorite non Romy and Michelle character is oh. in the movie? I think that's a good that's a good okay. question. <laughs> Are you hosting this podcast? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> can you give me my maternity leave cover if Was that ever that happens one? for me? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, obviously, Jane Nan Garofalo. And it's like watching her again last night. I just, I'm always just, it. when you see Jane Nan Garofalo in a movie, it really puts you in the year. You're like, ah, oh, her right. peak years. Yes. Um, but I'm also like, she's so beautiful. She's way more beautiful than, she, yeah. she's cast as like the bitter, twisted troll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's gorgeous. She's stunning. Her eyes are, I mean, they all are. Everyone yeah. in this movie is gorgeous. People in movies in general are beautiful. Right. <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah. But she's, she's, um, and so what? She's got a mono mono brow that needs plucking. There's a Frida Kahlo beauty yes! to that. Yes. It's uh it's yeah, she's a and do you feel like you were you were her in high school? Why do you say that? <laughs> <laughs> I what? don't see you with that with that bite necessarily. Uh, yeah, no, there was like yeah, I I think there was definitely there's definitely a part of me there's the part there's a, there's a a um fork in the road mm-hmm. and it probably happened in about 2018 I mm-hmm. think where there's like there's very much there's a Michelle in me and there's a Jane Ann Garofalo in me okay <laughs> and th- with the starting of this podcast I feel like there was a real chance that I was going to sorry this is a bit meta but the reason I started this podcast was because I had um published my first book the book mm-hmm. called Promising Young Women and in that book I um. Uh, took sort of like romantic comedy tropes like Bridget Jones Diary or mm-hmm. like a Nick Hornby book or a Marion Keys book and I started off with this very like it's gonna my my vision for this is it starts off in a very like tra- traditional rom-com-y way and right. then it kind of becomes dark and twisted mm-hmm. and then people started like, reviewers and interviewers interpreted that as me parodying or critiquing romantic comedies right. because I sort of try to subvert it I guess mm-hmm. and I remember having this feeling of like oh no I'm not trying to do I love these things mm-hmm. I think you know gothic literature is every bit as valid as romantic literature right. is and whatever and then I started this podcast because I wanted to explore that but there's a world in which I bought what I I bought the version of my own work that was being sold back to me right, and right. I kept going down the like dark twisted writer attempting to be the next Otessa Marshvig and failing kind of thing <laughs> and and um that I think that's the version where I because through this this podcast for me has been brain surgery it's right. been the, it's been the brain surgery that has made me more Michelle and less Jane Han oh. um and it's it's made me see that like 
it's literally changed my whole life. Seeing the good in things that people think are trashy has made me look at my life so differently because yeah. it's like literally hundreds of hours of sitting down and talking about liking stuff and what's good about it and what's positive and what's wholesome and mm. influential and it's it's turned me away from being a person I almost was. Yeah, that's so nice to see that sort of yeah, you you sort of ricocheted off Heather Mooney. Yeah, yeah. and bounced right back into Michelle. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, yeah, that's God. gorgeous. Thank you for asking me that because I don't think I would have got there without you asking me. You just did. You just did it now. You just did yeah. the therapy. <laughs> I did it. Thanks. Um, and uh, okay, so who, who's another one for you? Anon, Romy, and Michelle. Um, she uh, she she's definitely not me it's definitely mm-hmm. not who i was but i will always feel really protective and toby over toby walters yeah and just her okay maybe she is me i, yeah. I, I less so now but as a teenager i felt like i don't know i felt like i was always having to downplay or hide my enthusiasm for stuff mm. and in a very like British way I had to learn to become like embarrassed of my enthusiasm and it wasn't until I literally spent some time in California as like a early 20 something that I realised that like oh wait that's a cultural thing like I am allowed to be like unashamedly enthusiastic about stuff that is stupid about organising stuff and about like (laughs) organising stuff accidentally pissing people off and stuff like that and so I do totally bond with with Toby in that way yeah and also she just always gets told to fuck off and then she gets to that point at the end of the movie where she's like please don't, Don't tell, tell me, me to, to fuck, fuck off. off. It really hurts my feelings. And that's... that's... That, that bit also makes me well up when yeah. I see it. 100%. Because the thing is, it's like there are so many small characters in this movie and all of them are granted this amazing pathos, even mm. though they're all so silly and they're mm-hmm. such caricatures of the people we remember from high school. Because yeah. like everyone's memories of high school, particularly if they're, you know, the ages of these people in the movie and up. Right. Like people do become blurry. Yeah. And they and because there's so much media about high school, I think there are probably girls I went to school with who are probably harmless that I have attached Regina oh, George sure. thoughts to. Yeah. Simply because of the fading of memory plus the influence of high school media. And also the the uh, the sort of blindness that, that we all had in high school to the fact that everybody was miserable. Miserable. Everybody's life was being made And going made through like a hormone, hormonal, hormonal storm that like they would never be matched again in their life, you know? Yeah, and I think, although, don't crucify me here, but I think that is one of the very, very few flaws with this movie in the sense that yeah. like through a 2023 lens, we never really get that redemption for the A group. We never yeah. really get that redemption for um, Christy Masters. It, it, some people do just suck though. <laughs> some people are just born evil. <laughs> but you know, th- there's, a, there's a sort of weird disdain, for example, to like motherhood. And, yes, and it's a no, very, very, like, for sure. Yeah. 90s feminism way of looking at, at like what it means to be a successful woman. Yeah. And the fact that like, you know, they were happy to just settle down and have have children, yeah, yeah. but Romy and Michelle obviously see that as regressive or whatever. Yeah, but um, and I do hope their babies look like monkeys. But 
you know, you're right. Like so many of the people in this movie, no matter how big or small the role is, they're given this hero journey, this yeah. this, this arc but that's e- so th- well thought out. Even, sorry, what, what's the name of the character? Christy Masterson. Masters. Masters. Um, even she kind of, even though she is the only real villain of the piece, mm-hmm. um, she has this kind of pathos moment of like, oh, did you become a news anchor like you wanted? And she goes, oh, what? No, I don't even have time to watch TV, not I'm... since I became a mother. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's such like, it's so broad and it's so funny and it could be in a sketch, but mm-hmm. it's also this real wink into people who do exist and who like convince themselves that their dreams were never their dreams. Right. You know? We all do that. Yeah. We all do that to an extent. Speaking of dreams, we have to talk about the 20-odd minute dream sequence that is just slap in the middle of this movie and does not I does know. not does not do anything to the plot it's completely just no it's yeah. it's a it's a purely psychological journey and one of the things i realized on this latest watch that's so beautiful about the dream because yeah. the dream is surreal and odd mm-hmm. and fucked and, up and gets more surreal as it continues it starts off being quite ordinary yeah. and it's like convincingly what happens and then suddenly like it sort of outs itself as Michelle being a dream. is topless and she just floats out the window of the limo after being hit by a limo yeah. and flying over the top of the limo but the thing that's so beautiful about the dream sequence for me is that even though it's Michelle's dream yeah. and they've just had this falling out in you know moments ago in the in the car in her dream, Romy gets what she wants as well. Yeah. Romy gets with Billy Christensen. Yeah. And they, you know, go off and get married and live a happy life and have children together. And yes, they're not friends at, at the end of it. But, yeah. you know, it, it, it just shows this sort of like indelible friendship that they have where like even though they've fallen out and even though she's in a dream sequence, yeah. she's wanting the best for her best friend. I know. So, so yeah, to get us back into the chronology, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's beautiful and I, mm-hmm. I, I do want to get into it, but I just want to place this more in the movie yes. of like they are driving to the reunion they have the post-its falling out, which yeah. So they decide. They decide. What, what I love about this, with no foreshadowing, there's no <laughs> moment in the beginning of the movie where like Michelle Romy is looking at a post-it and like, huh? Like there's no mention of post-its beforehand. She just comes up with it. Yeah. And if this were this were a script going through any studio today, it would be like, we need just a button, just so we like we need some foreshadowing on yeah. that, just so it doesn't feel totally random. Yeah. But this movie is like, no, it's totally fucking random. They yeah. invented post-its. I think maybe the closest we get to foreshadowing is the fact that she bumps into Heather Mooney who is an inventor oh, at the yes. beginning of the movie and she yes. did invent a quick burning paper which is kind oh, of similar to yes. a post-it so that's fun and psychological that feels like very fun and natural and psychological in a kind of a zany way of like paper inventor post-its but you they know? don't they don't suggest that there's any psychological connect- connection in that yeah. moment it just sort of pops out of thin air yeah. so Romy's idea to impress the People entire class high school. Yeah. is that they should come up with something they should pretend that they invented something that nobody knows and also sorry who invented it. this is only triggered after they go into a deli to change into their suits ask for the businesswoman special off this random deli lady and she's like what kind of business y'all in and the and silence the silence because they have nothing prepared yeah it's that moment as well. I mean, you're very kind calling it a deli. It's like a roadside. Yeah, yeah. Every man in there looks like Matty Matheson. It's like, <laughs> it's incredible. And she's this beautiful, like, gnarled, yeah. like, aged diner lady. What? A real Simpsons character. Yeah. You know? Come again. Come again. What kind of business y'all in? <laughs> um, 
it's that moment for me as well that reveals a, another queer through line, which is that essentially they're drag queens. Yeah. They're doing executive realness. They, they do business drag. And this whole And they're sort of teetering and they kind of move like drag queens. They're yeah. sort of clip clopping around the place yeah. like And they and the whole movie in a sense is about passing, right? It's about yeah. like passing as successful, passing as beautiful, passing as femme. And and in a sense it's I read an interview with Robin Schiff, the um, the writer, uh-huh. and she was saying like they're drag queens. The reason that they can get away with that scene at the beginning, where they're like, "Can you believe how beautiful we look tonight?" Yeah, yeah. is because yeah, they are beautiful, but they're also this like pantomime, exaggerated like nineties femme mm-hmm. that is that is so performative but so yeah. gorgeous it's, it's nobody feels threatened by that it's so it's so you yeah know, it's so big and yeah and that continues throughout the, the whole movie even to the end when they're in those gorgeous <laughs> those shiny plastic shiny blue dresses. and pink yeah and you know the the costume designer was the same costume designer as clueless oh that makes so total makes sense yeah all tied together and I don't know if you ever saw this there's the Starfleet logo on Romy's dress oh yes because um, Mira Savino was a huge Star Trek fan and the (laughs) costume designer was like well this is supposed to be you in your like truest form so let's make this a Star Trek dress isn't that gorgeous that's so gorgeous and like we haven't even talked about their styling that much which is such an important part of of I think why children love this movie and why and then why they go on to love mm-hmm. it as adults mm-hmm. is that like they look like people who drew pictures of what a pretty lady looks like when they were kids yeah. and because they've never had anything infiltrate their worldview because they're just the self-contained pod of two they're a subculture of two people yeah. they're just like they their their vision of what's beautiful or what's appropriate or what's feminine has never changed mm-hmm. it's stayed in the world of Barbie because they've like they've never stopped playing Barbies they and they are one another's Barbie, they are. Yeah, you know? That's so true. Down to like the continuity between what they're wearing on their bodies and their jewellery. Like that scene yeah. where they're in the laundromat doing the um, questionnaires mm-hmm. and Romy has a beautiful like form-fitting very 90s top with like three of hearts yes! like card yes. on and her earrings are a pair of dice. Yeah. And it's just like it's so Barbie. You're so right. It's yeah. such a... It's like this is. It's that, that satisfaction you feel when you look at a dollhouse, and it's like, oh, and look, the books have real text in them, and the lamp yeah. really works. It's like this detail thing that is just, even though they're sexy, it's just <clears throat> not for men, you know. Oh, for sure, it's not for straight men. No, that's for sure. No, yes. But yeah, I mean, it was in a sense as well for me. It, it, I was living vicariously through them. Not that I was never not allowed to put on my mum's high heels. I had very, mm-hmm. very open-minded parents in that sense. But like. I've never done drag, but I feel yeah. like I know. I feel like maybe this was my gateway drug to drag race. Like yeah, this yeah. was their, this this was this was that they were doing a really sort of amped up femininity. Yeah. And Mira Sorvino as well talks about how the inspiration for that voice that she does, which is kind of like, like part Valley Girl, part yeah. Surfer Boy, part yeah. like midwest um it's so so dislocated yes dislocated is the perfect word for it she was saying that like part of her inspiration for that was um her her sisters her older sisters and she grew yeah. up in new jersey and they were you know trying 
They w- this was their drag impression of a yeah. valley girl in New Jersey. Oh. She was trying to do that voice and she said there was a sort of, when she read the script, there was a weird sort of masculinity to Romy yeah. that she tried to bring in through that sort of depth that she <laughs> she delivers everything oh, Ramon. with. Oh, Ramon. <laughs> oh, Ramon. It, yeah, it's so, it's such a... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's so unlike any other voice that you almost think that must be her real voice then kind of thing. Cause it, cause yes, this is kind of I the assumed. main reason I know Mira Sorino. Um and that and My- Mighty Aphrodite, which is a bad film she's very good in. Um, she won an Oscar for it. She won an Oscar. Like the year before this came out. Yeah. And well, like, no, maybe it was early, earlier than that. But she basically got this role because she won an Oscar. Because the original... The original Romy was an actress called Christy Meller, I think okay. she was, in the in the play. Right. And and, and Lisa Kudrow originated. And Lisa Michelle. Kudrow, yeah. Yeah. And she didn't you know, Christy Meller obviously didn't make it to, to the movie, but Lisa Kudrow in the time it took to develop this movie from play to screen, yeah. Lisa Kudrow went on to become Phoebe and, and to kill killers all yeah (laughs) and become incredibly famous and so obviously they you know she she went on to be cast as 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 michelle but they needed i think the studio were afraid of having too many tv people in their movie so they got mira Silvino, who had just won uh her her oscar for mighty Aphrodite, and she was at the time dating quentin tarantino i know and there's all these references in the movie which is bonkers but like but this is a conversation that comes up a lot about this movie of like if it were two men there would be four movies and a disneyland ride right why do you think there isn't for this i mean I, i i well mira savino her career i mean is wild wildly speculated to be this a very cut and shut case of this is someone who did not have sex with Harvey Weinstein yeah, and yeah. whose career basically fell into the doldrums as a right. result. I mean, I, I don't want to say that. She's probably like... She's having her star is back on the rise is as we speak. Yeah, she's been in a few things recently and obviously she's an incredible actress. So, But there's a, there's a temptation to say that someone's career went down the toilet. Like She was probably doing incredible theatre somewhere that we yeah, don't know about, right, you know? Right, right, right. But like, we have a very narrow... But like, you know, in terms of mainstream success, we didn't see much of her for many years. Mm-hmm. Which is... It was so strange knowing that and then watching the... Oh, Ramon, scene again of the, I'm not going to have sex with oh, you. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and she's in such a powerful position in that moment. Yeah, she yeah. is dictating exactly what happens. She is getting what she wants. She is using her sexuality and she's giving him nothing. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's so beautiful. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, this movie was not a commercial success. It was it yeah, it made a modest profit. Modest profit, but I think on VHS, obviously, it did a, a lot yeah. better. And part of the issue is that it was R-rated because of all of the the fuck yous from Heather Mooney. Yeah. All of the language was R-rated, and so um, a lot of people blame it on that the fact that you know the teen girls who were supposed to keep this movie going and who did and who did yeah they couldn't go and watch it at the cinema they couldn't see it multiple times yeah. they would have had to go with their parents or whatever gosh i wonder <laughs> i wonder what the different life would be for this movie if it was it, it was a pg-13 or whatever yeah i i don't know if it's that simple because it is really fucking weird it's not yeah. it's not clueless it's so yeah. much weirder than clueless and it's so much more um, so much ed- edgier and odder and um, like you said at the beginning of this conversation yeah. it it doesn't follow the structure any rules it doesn't follow the rules that you're supposed to follow yeah. as, a, as a comedy and yeah I just don't know if it would if it would have landed with sort of a mass audience in the way that like Clueless and Heathers did yeah because Clueless had that sort of like that ironclad structure of following the Emma plot and like mm. almost having guaranteed column inches before it even came out because, I, because and of that, yeah. that's such a like it's I mean if anybody is out there and they have a good character and a good sort of like ear for dialogue and a, and a sense of a scene or a setting but they don't really have a plot just serious if there's no shame in it go through Shakespeare go through Austin because they're all tried and true and people feel good when yeah. when they when they feel a classic structure descend upon them yeah. and no one should feel ashamed of that it's, go do it everyone it's that beautiful satisfactory sort of feeling where you're yes. like I know I know this story it's that Bridget Jones finger... thing as well of like mm, structure yeah. yummy structure because that lovely... was just a column right yeah so, of course um, but so back to that businesswoman special line. Mm, mm-hmm. That that was a moment for me where you know how like the pause was just so long. Yeah. It, of of this woman's gnarled old diner waitress looking at them and them just like pausing and sort of just And you can almost hear Lisa Kudrow's neck bones creak yeah. as she turns oh my, exactly. and looks to Romy for the answer. Lisa Kudrow is such an amazing actor. Full stop. She, yeah. I think I think if I were to make a list of my favorite human beings on planet Earth, Lisa Kudrow would be on that list. Yeah. Like it would be my family, my friends, and Lisa Kudrow, yeah. <laughs> and share. <laughs> like these are who I care about. Yeah. Um, and I want to come back to the comeback in a minute because I assume oh, yeah, that you're a fan. Oh yeah, of course. Good. Um, but th- so there's this sort of Lisa Kudrow is an amazing actor when. And you really see that amazingness when she has no lines because yeah. she just has this way of like sort of fluttering to herself mm. that's very subtle. And it's not that kind of very overblown Meryl Streep touching your mouth thing. Yeah, of course. You can hear the cogs and yes. she's not doing anything. It's so, it's fabulous. But I feel like that was a moment when I was watching it back last night where I really felt the Simpsons DNA of it. Ah, yeah, so true. Because one of the one of the reasons why Simpsons is as famous as it is, and I mean, there's many reasons, but like, uh, that's a, as good as it is, is because it was one of the first heavily serialized sitcoms that did not have a laugh track. And when you have mm. a laugh track in a in a TV show, you have a musicality to where the joke rises right. and breaks right. and when the punchline comes and then every time the laugh track comes then we reset new joke kind yeah, of thing new builds sure. new new joke but because the Simpsons didn't have a laugh track it meant that there was more room for silences and jokes on top of jokes oh, and no no real yeah. breaks or like 
formal musicality, just a kind of a sort of a abstract jazz of weird humour that right. like, yes, there's a big joke for the big audience, but there's also a weird joke that's kind of a plan of the house, but also kind of about the Godfather and kind <laughs> yeah. of about nothing, yes. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's like, I'm just so, that form of writing and that form of humour has impacted me more than anything else on this earth, I think. And, and the music cue in that moment is so important yeah. as well, because as they're leaving the toilet of this diner dressed in yeah. their executive realness, yeah. there's this sort of like... Just to, like <laughs> to position them in geographically in yeah. the sticks, you know? Yeah. And as soon as that rug is pulled out from them and they realise they haven't thought this plan through yeah. and literally this little diner lady has just you know made the plot happen she's yeah. unpinned the grenade really the yeah. music just goes and just stops yeah and then the silence just falls <laughs> and you just know it nothing could be the same <laughs> that's it but there's there's a few of those moments throughout the movie where their plan sort of gets so far and then they realize oh this isn't going to work yeah like the whole did you deduct 16 pounds for your shoes where she's so PO'd as she says that she can't lose enough weight to be impressive at this <laughs> at this reunion and then it and then she says you know what we could we were never going to do this this was never going to work and then the next scene they're sat on the floor of their apartment eating cookie dough yeah <laughs> out like, of the I, tube I still really want to go though <laughs> yeah yeah you're you're so right it's that it, it doesn't patronise the viewer in sort of offering you these jokes yeah. on, a, on, a, on a platter. It just sort of lets you feel them. Yeah, and, them and lets out. waves of them come over you <laughs> yeah. in a way that feels like staccato and, and improvised. And uh, I love as well that like, and it's so, it's so what it's like when you're that close with somebody and and that real road trip mentality of like, well, you've created a subculture of two between you where all ideas are good ideas and yeah. no ideas are bad ones of like the posted thing, which we're so, we as the audience are so in on their subculture mm-hmm. and their world that we're like, ah, oh, good job, girls. You've yeah. invented the posted thing. That's a great idea. And then everyone they tell is like, excuse me? It doesn't play out. Yeah. Even when but not the even lie... not with one person. Yeah. It doesn't work anywhere. Nowhere. And like, even when the lie is being told perfectly, even before Heather Mooney comes and again yeah. is that little diner lady and pulls the rug out from under them in front of, you know, the most important people. Yeah. It, it's still not landing. She yeah. did the way that Romy delivers the the lie to yeah. Christy Masters. Christy Masters is not impressed. No. She's like Okay. Oh, okay. You invented post-its and 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 what and what? But like, yeah. Do you think it's like? Do you think, is it that nobody believes them and they're just being like, here is that weird girl from high school saying something weird again? Or is it just a lack of respect for like, as she calls it, ball-busting career women? Oh yes. Because that's what she says to Lisa Luda, who is the um, editor at Vogue. Yes. Leaves the A group to become the editor at, at Vogue, and her sort of burn to her is like, you're just jealous. Because unlike some other ball-busting career Dried women... Dried up ball-busting <laughs> yeah. career women, I could mention. We're all happily married. Yeah. And then she goes, yes, that's right, Christy. Keep telling yourself yeah. that. <laughs> which I is just the that. most beautiful comeback, um, which I've tried to use in my life many times and it never lands. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, it's like, it's such an obvious and 90s thing to say, but the actor just sort of 
really delivers it. I think that's the first time anyone said it ever. <laughs> keep telling yourself, keep telling that. yourself that. She's the inventor of keep telling yourself that. Who, P.S. Yeah. Talk about this for serendipity. Um, Elaine Hendricks, who plays yeah. Lisa Luder, followed me on Instagram what? yesterday. You are fucking joking me. Nope. Can you believe that? She's a I'm I my what? my Instagram presence is all about vegan food and she's yeah. a vegan so it's not at completely school night vegan. at school night vegan. It's not completely you know unreasonable that that that, yeah. that would happen. But yeah, yesterday. Oh, my, did you message her? Of course I did. What did you say? Of course I sent her picture of my family and my pet. No, is it? <laughs> no, I just I just told her what we were going to do today and wow. how bonkers this is that that's wow. A, she didn't reply. It's fine. That's she's, fine. She's a she ball-busting, sh- dried-up career <laughs> She thinks your designs are interesting. She's amazing. No, she's a huge, like, animal rights activist. Oh, and shit. Okay. Massive, very, very vocal sort of um, activist out there. Yeah. Oh, I'm so jealous. I know. She's great. She's fantastic. And she was also, before Romy and Michelle happened, yeah. she was in the parent trap as the, as the um, Is step-mom. she Meredith? Yes, she's married. Oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, wow. it's it's almost like she's ageless and kind of still is. She's still so beautiful. And Alan Cumming in an interview said something really gorgeous about her, which was never has a nicer person been so capable yeah. of playing a bigger bitch. It's just something about her face. It's just so perfect yeah. for playing a bitch. Yeah. But apparently, she's just a, a wonderful human being Aww. in all respects. <laughs> Well, that's nice. Yeah, isn't that gorgeous? What's her name again? Lisa. Elaine Hendricks. Elaine? Lisa Luda. Lisa Luda. Oh. Yeah. I love that. And I also, I feel like that's a character who, again, all of these people, they are, you know, outsized and they feel like they could all be SNL characters. Mm-hmm. But they also, the reality to them, there was always, in those bitchy group of girls, there was always one girl who was kind of nice and sort of shouldn't have been there, but was almost yeah. there by dint of having a perfect face, yes. but, but had a more interesting thing going on in life. And they almost didn't cast the woman that they chose. I can't remember her name for the life of me, but the person they chose for Christy Masters, the the lead, yeah. the, the Regina George of the scenario, mm-hmm. they almost didn't cast her because she was not beautiful enough to be yeah. that girl. And Robin Schiff, the writer, was like, as a woman, yeah. I know that in school it's not about that. No. It's about your, you know, big bitch energy. Yeah. You do not need to be the most yeah. beautiful woman to be the biggest bitch in school. Yeah. So, or the most powerful. Or the most powerful. Yeah, yeah exactly. So That's she so was true. cast and she's perfect. Down to the Christy Masters Christiansen. <laughs> the way she says her own name is just fantastic. So beautiful. So I, perfect. I also wanted to, I mean, again, I keep going back to the to the queerness mm-hmm. of, the, of this movie. Yes, that character feels very lesbian coded. Yeah, as, you know, Lisa Luda's, uh, you know, power, white power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, this is very broad city of me, but her white power suit that she wears. <laughs> and, um, and also the fact that, I don't know, we could t- touch on this, but I don't know if it's necessarily canon, but the sort of asexual nature of their relationship and the poly nature of the of the of the relationship with them at the end okay. with Sandy Frank. I've Frink. been saving this because I didn't want to get into the time after time of it all too soon. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because it's Am so- I splooging too early? <laughs> no, I think we're, we've hit a good point now, actually. Okay. We've warmed up. There's been foreplay. Yeah. Because, like, I just, there's nothing in cinema I take more seriously than that time after time dance. No. And and also, 
how beautiful that the song they chose for that gorgeous reunion dance was the same song that Romy was stood up to at the at the, yeah. at the prom. Oh. And the way that Michelle and Sandy are supposed to be the two that are dancing, but she says, only if Romy can dance with us. Yeah. And she sort of drags that that trio together in a sort of I don't know. I, I, I do I do feel like we need to... Michelle is very complicated from a romantic perspective because it seems like the only people she's attracted to are gay men. Yeah. Because the only person she talks about having a crush on is the guy from the drama group when they're you know, they're looking through the yearbook at the beginning. Oh yeah. She's like the biggest crush on I forget what his name is. But then it zooms she's like, Well, I wonder why he didn't like me and then yeah. it zooms in on his face and YMCA comes on. Yeah. <laughs> so she's clearly that girl that loves mm-hmm. loves the gays. And yeah. and also in her, you know, uniting with Alan Cumming, she still is getting with a gay with the gay man at the end. It's just it, and it, it, it's as well. I just it just it's so important. And <laughs> And the I think it's what you know in the dream sequence and in in the dream sequence, it's um what, how it ends is that like they both ride off into the sunset with the men that they're you know quote unquote supposed to be yeah, with yeah Michelle with Sandy mm-hmm. who's played by Alan Cumming um and who's had copious plastic surgery yeah and this... looks like Christopher Walken yeah what's so weird is that the dream sequence is quite near to things that happen in reality like Alan she Cumming predicts like that he's very successful and has a huge glow up and <laughs> yeah and uh and so yeah uh Michelle goes off with Sandy um Romy goes off with Billy they both go off to have long marriages and that's yeah. when you really know it's a dream sequence and you're <laughs> yeah. like what um but it's what I think what's like really beautifully and like fantastically and surreally done by these two sequences one of which is like they go off into sunset with different men mm-hmm. and one of which being they go off into sunset the three of them is that like the the happy endings that are planned out for women, they don't allow for there to be people in your life who are closer to you than the men that you may oh love. Oh my God. You know? And like that so would, true. that would be a loss for Michelle, for her, for like, even if she got married a millionaire and was yeah. loved deeply to not have Romy in her life, being yeah. her number one person would still be the, the uh, a net loss, yeah. you know? Think how much of like female romance culture is about, or at least female coming-of-age stories are about putting aside your childhood friendships and learning to be one per one person to one person, learning to yeah. be a wife or a mother yeah. or whatever. And, yeah, it, I think it takes pretty big balls in 1997 yeah. to say, like, no, actually, the most important relationship in this scenario is this friendship. Yeah. Is this sisterhood. And which, yeah. Which goes unchanged. In fact, comes out stronger at the end of, of the movie. Which, which is funny as well, because I just, before you came in, I did a session with Jess Pan on My Best Friend's Wedding, which oh. came out the same year. Wonderful film. Was it the same year? Yeah, 97. Get out. And it's, it's uh, both movies end with you don't need to have a monogamous relationship right. in your life and I think now the trend is with these kind of messaging is like I choose me and like I mm-hmm. choose myself but these movies were very much like life is full of community and intimacy that ex- that like exists outside of sexuality yeah, and like people sure. you know both movies have the same moral which is 
the most important person in your life does not have to be the person you're having sex with. Yeah, and they, in a sense, they in certain moments, they are driven by sex, but it always feels like a means to an end. It yeah. never feels like, or they are driven by romance, but yeah. it feels like... Say, for instance, Romy's uh, 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 obsession, borderline obsession with Billy. Yeah. It feels like just an attempt to be treated like a human being. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's anything to do with wanting to be with him. Yeah. It's more like, I just want to get out of high school and survive. Yeah. <laughs> I just want people to to like me. And and yeah, I, you're so right. that It's so refreshing to have a movie that doesn't put romance over uber allas you know it's yeah because i i I find those endings that are like i choose myself or like fine to be alone or whatever i find them less inspiring because i do think that like yes obviously fine to be alone whatever um i find like this kind of move towards like these like hyper individualistic um like pop culture or culture in general to be depressing yeah because there is no like we all we are all in definition to the people that we're around and like community is more important than like this fucking righteous desire to just be this lone hyper fucking success beast who's like constantly like 10xing on themselves yeah like that's not what it's about it's about pals yeah you know exactly and it's so important that the grind that they ultimately do end up succeeding in is crucial or or has their relationship at the centre of it. The store that they open at the end is called Romy and Michelle. They're not selling clothes. They're selling their friendship to people. And that's, I think, why the movie was so successful as well. (laughs) We we got sold on their friendship. We wanted to be a part of that. And we got to be for all those years I can't believe that we got like out of Forrest Gump a Bubba Gump chain but we didn't get a Romeo Michelle's clothes shop right I know imagine if like like a, a shop did like a pop up of Romeo Michelle oh It'd be so don't good. maybe that's coming because there's def- it's definitely back in the zeitgeist that, right that now. style is everywhere now that's kind of what what is kind of referred to as dopamine dressing oh yeah you know that's they were dopamine dressing people are putting aside minimalism yeah. and monochrome the colours yeah. are, are back and it's very it's very post pandemic you know and, yeah. um, and and speaking of Forrest Gump the original play that they were in Ladies Room which it was I don't know if we said this at the beginning, but mm. it's basically about uh, set in a Mexican restaurant, right. in the toilets of a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> and it's all about what women say to each other when men aren't yeah. around in the ladies' room. Mm-hmm. And throughout the play, apparently, there's, there's a man in the toilet in of, oh. of the ladies' room. I guess, I don't know the, the plot, but he's maybe with a woman in there or whatever. Yeah. Guess who played him in the original play? No, Tom not Ma- Tom, Hanks. Tom Hanks. The Tom Hanks. Isn't that bonkers? And Janine Garofalo, who plays Heather, yeah, not Heather, yeah, Heather Mooney, um, played Romy. So it's all it's all this weird. Wow. They've all they've all done yeah, it. I love that. And Tony Collette nearly played Romy in the in the. In the oh, movie. I wouldn't have hated that at all. I wouldn't, but she couldn't get the accent. Apparently, that oh. was the, that was the difficulty. She couldn't do the Valley Girl. In God, a, and in a she would have just come off Muriel's wedding as well. Exactly right, fresh off the fresh off the yeah, <laughs> fresh off the movie, <laughs> <laughs> fresh off the movie, as they say. I like the. I, I feel like we skipped past time after time too quickly. Okay, yeah, let's go back. The choreography. I like. I'm not a dancer or anyone who knows anything about dancing, but it's just so important that mm-hmm. it's like, it's this weird mix of things that like, it's both 
crazy and childish and like how children dance at birthday parties yeah. oh my God, while yeah. simultaneously being incredibly technically proficient. Like you can tell <laughs> yeah. that um, Mira Servino is a dancer. You she know? did ballet for like seven years. Yeah, yeah. And she, do, and she, and she shows it and apparently the... the um, the choreographer n- knew that and wanted to, and that's why it's yeah. this weird sort of Frankenstein hybrid of like yeah. interpretive dance that's very doable by, yeah, <laughs> by just like wavy arms and like <laughs> yeah. yeah, and ballet. It's very balletic, but as well, it's it's really like cumbersome and clumsy, yeah, and, and, and like and like kids who have rehearsed a dance and who are now doing it for you. It's like a step away from like sliding across the floor on your knees. Yeah, it's yeah. really it's really close to that. And apparently they could not stop pissing themselves doing it. They had to do so many yeah. takes because they were pissing themselves, laughing so much. <laughs> just, just so funny. <laughs> but oh. yeah, it's it's this gorgeous... And I think so. obviously so many movies close with a dance sequence like that. And, yeah. You know, Napoleon Dynamite and mm-hmm. whatever. But Napoleon um, Dynamite, that dance sequence, I know people are obsessed with it, but it totally leaves me cold. Oh, for sure. There's no emotion in it. Yeah. But this one, I guess, is... a. I love that it's about their friendship, but, you know, and if you look at it having just, like, dropped in on the movie, yeah. you'd be like, who's that guy? Why is he there? Yeah, because, like, <laughs> they, they really have no relationship with him. No. Uh, but they, they, like, it's this weird thing of they just, like, have this incredibly codependent little subculture of the two of them, but they're, like, just let him in. They're like, yeah. Because they be realise that he was a misfit too. Yeah. He was the same as them, even though they looked down on him. Yeah. I think, I feel like that dance is almost their apology to him. Oh, <laughs> Richard. I mean? It's almost like saying, yeah, you can sit with us. Yeah. That's okay. And it, and it clearly means a lot to him. His face at the end yeah. when they're in that sort of like Thai um, uh, statuesque <laughs> <laughs> position. Uh, and he's just you know he's got this gorgeous relaxed satisfied grin yeah. on his face it's just gorgeous it mean, it clearly means a lot to him oh, yeah because like Sandy is the person who did what they were pretending to do like mm-hmm. he really is the most successful person and he has all these houses like, like that great speech of like oh yeah you know successful <laughs> house in Aspen house, house in Acapulco <laughs> yeah, yeah. staff of 14 <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like you know it's such a um, a silly lesson but it's brought him nothing you can tell right except for this opportunity to possibly impress the people he went to school with and it's like there's still one thing he, he doesn't to... have yeah your own country no <laughs> Michelle yeah. yeah it's gorgeous and it, I don't I think there are a lot of people out there who begrudge him being so central to the to the closing scene and to to their resolution oh really yeah and, and understandably because it's sort of like you know it doesn't yeah who is he really yeah and, why and if it wasn't Alan to... Cumming it wouldn't work Ex- this is exactly what I was going to say. It's yeah. again, it loops right back to that whole Michelle being into gay guys thing. Yeah, and it's so unthreatening and un, yeah, a- a- atypical because and queered. You know, it's yeah. so subversive, be- subversive because it is Alan Cumming because we know that he's kind of just playing along with it with yeah. it too. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't, I don't begrudge him being there. I love but, it. And but that- even if it was like, and I'm probably saying this because I was talking about uh, my best friend's wedding earlier. If it was like a Rupert Everett, it wouldn't be the same. Like another openly queer actor, because he's hot, maybe. Because he's hot and he's bulletproof, you know. And yeah, like, there's something so true, so vulnerable about Alan Cummings. And Alan Cummings is hot in his way. Don't yeah, don't, of course. Don't get me oh, wrong. Not coming for Alan Cummings. But it. <laughs> 
I'll come for Alan Cumming. Oh God, don't say Cumming. But we, but he's so un- non-threatening. He's yeah. so, you know, he, he, I, I get. I get yeah. why he's there. It's okay. I think that's why it's so powerful because it's so gentle, but it's so triumphant as a scene, you know? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's such an incredible feat that this, this like death-defying leap that this movie makes and you completely go along with of like these two knockout blondes mm. who are just incredible right. looking and like just legs and tits everywhere yeah. that they would be outsiders or misfits yeah. is such a nuts concept but we totally buy it and we do have to touch on the fact that you know in even in the flashbacks Mira Sorvino's yeah sold to us as the fat girl yeah and this film is very like 1997 in the sense that it is kind of fat phobic there are literally four non-white characters in the whole movie and they say well i'm surprised that you counted four thing yeah it's they're just used as the the butt of a joke about yeah. not being able to understand english which is oh gross. yes yes and of course. obviously you know we see that differently now but um yeah we, we do a lot of suspending <laughs> suspending our disbelief in this movie because it's Lisa Kudrow and Mira Savino. Like they are, they are insanely beautiful as teenagers with a with yeah. a back brace or or not. Yeah, that's my. I have to say that's my all time favorite favorite line from um, Christy Masters when she's yeah. bullying them in school and she comes over and goes can I have the rest of this? And she takes the whole hamburger. It's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> It's so, it's yeah. it's so passive aggressive. And no, it's, it's aggressive. It's, it's nothing okay. passive about it's it. Full aggressive. But it's just, yeah. I just, I just love that nobody, yeah. act, nobody does anything. Nobody moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, um, Michelle's response is like, "Wow, she can be really nice when she wants to be. She just doesn't see it. She doesn't hear it." <laughs> I think this is where we air air our bullying grievances now. This is oh, part okay. Of the podcast. My Christy Masterson. I was in school had my phone on the table she was sitting next to me at like some it was like some study period or whatever picks up a pencil stabs stabs her pencil through my phone screen <sighs> through like my it wasn't a Nokia 3210 it was more advanced than that but it was like a Nokia vibe and like I remember just being like what like speechless that it had just had it was like very much the burger scene of just like oh my god how can a human being just do this that's so violent it was so and like this is like, it wasn't that she had like targeted me previously or anything she was just like I was somebody who meant nothing and didn't matter right so therefore could just be kind of ambiently picked on and I, I just freaked out I was like what the fuck and, I, and like she kind of walked away she was like it was a fucking old phone and like just like Walked away from you me. You don't get to decide how old my phone you is. You don't get to decide how old my phone is. And then I was like so incensed, and I was like, it boggled my brain. And I like, I, I kind of went up to her later in the day when she was with her little crew of being like, "Are you going to pay for my phone or like what's Good the for deal?" You. Yeah, but like her entire posse just sort of like looked at them each other, and then me being like, "Why are you freaking out?" And oh, like the made me feel mad. Oh my god! It's like I had a fairly pleasant time at school generally, but mm-hmm. like that was one moment where I was like, I can't believe I'm in an eighties film. Yeah. Oh god, <laughs> it happens. Kids are yeah. fucking horrible. Yeah, we were like seventeen. We were. It's like our final year of school. This is like you. Yeah, I mean, I can believe it. It's horrible. I definitely wasn't bullied mm-hmm. because I always had friends, and I always sort of. I think I always knew my worth, which is your biggest mm-hmm. power as a as a teenager, to just yeah. know what you're good at and why you matter. And I think I always knew that I had a sense of humour. I could always sort of, I could always laugh my way out of yeah. a situation or make other people mm. 
you know, my porcupine spines was comedy, as it is yeah. for so many people. Um, but the biggest, most humiliating thing that happened to me in school was that we had, in a very sort of American way, even though this was in, an English school, we did the vote thing where you vote for, like, who's the most attractive, mm-hmm. who's got, weirdly, like, who's got the best legs and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Which was yeah, really crazy. creepy and odd. Yeah. Especially cause children. It was children. And it was managed by the adults who were teaching us. We were 16. Yeah, it it's was so horrible. weird. We had a similar thing. It was fucking mad. But yeah. one of the categories was coolest person. Coolest. Coolest person. Yeah. And... A lot of people, it must have been a lot of people, it must have been a critical mass, agreed to vote for me as coolest person, ironically, because I definitely was not the coolest person. And I won and I got it. And so I I go up to, you know, to collect this, this award in front of the whole year. And I'm like, geez, did not see that coming. Oh my God, totally believing it. And people are like laughing and and whatever. But here's the here's the rub. I didn't hear it. I was oh. just like, fuck yeah. I was I was Michelle. a deludinoid. Yeah. I did not I did not care that it was a joke. Oh. I did not know until years later when you know a friend from high school was like, you realise that that was that that was a joke, right? And it was oh. probably like ten years later. <laughs> That's both a horrifying and wonderful story. Yeah, I'm proud. Here's the self love that I like to. Yeah. I like to do <laughs> is that I'm really proud of that guy for not yeah. being paranoid in that in that situation because so what if that gave them some little some little yeah. mo- moment of joy to laugh at me being sort of clueless and, and deluded. I was Michelle in that moment. I didn't care. I was having a great time. Oh. <laughs> love that and you <laughs> beautiful yeah so i think i think delusion is a big theme of this movie and perhaps a big theme delusion is the sincerest form of survival yeah it's you know? the, it's maybe the most effective form of survival in that scenario yeah i think we all need to get better at, at doing it again at just you know saying to that's yourself, true and i think um yeah, I, I mean, not to be oh, social media, mm-hmm. but like I think we have such a clear idea of how people are looking at us and why mm-hmm. and for what now. It's harder to be deluded in a way now. Yeah, I mean, social media is a f- fun topic right now because obviously this movie would not exist if Facebook existed. No, that's so true. Nobody would have gone to that yeah. reunion if Facebook is that reunion. And you get to, obviously online, you get to be kind of whoever you want to be you get to put that you have complete control over the curation of your image you get to be the person who invented post-its if you want to be (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're Um, the person who invented veganism yeah i do i'm the person who invented podcasts (laughs) we have both been credited with those things but yeah i mean it's um it's funny to it's why this movie couldn't work now if it was if it was set right now because i know exactly how all of my classmates are doing or at least the ones that I care about, mm. you know. I know all. I know how they're doing. I can just check on their Facebook or their Instagram. I bet not great. <laughs> Let's not. Let's, Let's not. not go there. Let's not. We're all on our own paths. Yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to say, because we should wrap it up, is um, I really enjoyed, because I'm a huge comeback fan. Oh, yeah, because sure. Because Lisa Kudrow is one of my favourite people mm-hmm. on planet Earth. Um, but uh, so how big, how, where would you rate your comeback? I saw, I, I, I toyed with it okay. because I wanted it to be an extension of the Romeo and Michelle universe. Mm. I wanted more. 
even even with friends i only watched friends over my sister's shoulder because i wanted more of phoebe and the same goes for um the comeback yeah and i did i did enjoy it but i'm definitely not a stan i'm definitely not you know okay well that'll be a different podcast then but um (laughs) but there is something the thing about the comeback and i think that uh, has kept people sort of really coming back to that well over and over again is that there is a real um beautiful melancholy to it of right. what, what is sort of sold as being quite a broad almost curb your enthusiasm style comedy mm-hmm. there's like it, it's a bit in the, in the same way it's clearly what Amisa Kudra is drawn to in that same way that Romy Michelle has this kind of silly high octane antics and right. then these real moments of sincerity mm-hmm. but that character um, of Valerie Cherish yeah. who is like this washed up sitcom actress who is doing this um, this show has this whole background of being a teenager in a back brace <gasps> So it's like this, I missed this. Yeah. So she she is Michelle, pretty she much. She is Michelle, yeah. And there's this whole kind of sad sort of storyline that's kind of told in like laughing asides about how she was on the field hockey team but she couldn't do anything because she was in a back brace and she just was sort of like oh. there helping them oh, and God. carrying drinks and stuff and how they wouldn't let her be in the picture. Oh. And it's like it's like horrifyingly sad. Oh god. Um but it's like it's like as a as a Valerie Cherish Stan it's very lovely to see a different version of Valerie Cherish but and everything's the same except she has a friend you know <laughs> oh yeah she gets that she gets the yeah. support that she needs yeah yeah that's gorgeous i i'm the same as you lisa Kudrow is is so important to me yeah. and I guess I, I try not to consume too much Lisa Kudrow material outside There's not of, that much to consume. There's not a lot, so it's hard to do anyway. Yeah. But in terms of like in, face-to-face interviews, um, yeah. talk shows and stuff like that, mm. because every time she does something that that strays from yeah. her character mm-hmm. as Michelle... I feel really sad because yeah. I, I, want, I do you want, want that to be, to be her. And yeah. beca- I guess the fact that she... She originated that role. She did it. I mean, here's my favourite thing. Okay. The movie came out almost 10 years to the day after the play was first yeah. aired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, in a sense, the movie was the reunion of, oh of my the God. play, the 10-year reunion. Wow. And so I see this as being, you know, Lisa Kudrow just carried on playing Michelle for yeah. the rest of her life. And yeah, because Phoebe is really a version of Michelle. Pretty much the same person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting about what what about writers and directors are inspired by Lisa Kudrow as being a human being who is like relentlessly sunny in the face of everything. Terminally delightful. Ter- yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Because that's that's the sort of the joke of Phoebe's character is that she's had this incredibly upsetting background that we hear about in dribs and drabs, yeah. but refuses to be ploughed by it you and know she, yeah and she has this sort of edge that no one can quite put their put their finger on and yeah. she's she's part of a subculture that no one really in friends she's yeah. part of a subculture that none of the other characters sort of have yeah. access to or, or many subcultures it seems yeah yeah, yeah she's just sort of welcome ev- everywhere yeah. she can masquerade as anything <laughs> yeah and maybe that's because she had practice in that mini two-person subculture of Romy and Michelle's friendship. Yeah. She's just a genius. She's the Meryl Streep of television. She is. <laughs> oh, and Meryl Streep also loves Romy and Michelle. She she oh. is on paper saying she's watched it 28 times. Oh. <laughs> that's nice. Which is gorgeous. I feel bad about that dig about Meryl I made earlier on. 
No, she's diff- She's good for a different reason. And yeah. she knows she's good for a different reason. She knows she's good. She knows she's what was that acceptance speech that she gave once where she was like, even sometimes I think I'm overrated. <laughs> yeah. We've spoke so much and this is this has been such a heartening and lovely conversation and everything I, I want to be. hour and a yeah. half. <laughs> um, is, is there anything that if we don't talk about, you're going to go away on the train back to Hastings and... <laughs> Be like, fuck. I want to talk really, really, just for one second. I just want to say um, one person's name and it's Clarence, the brain dead redneck asshole. And I connected with him so much on this last, last viewing Mm -hmm. because he obviously comes across as an absolute dick, throwing his cigarette on the floor, making Heather Mooney sort of scrounge around for a light on the floor. Uh And his redemption arc is so beautiful because it's like, he was just shy. Yeah. He was just the shy boy. And it's Justin Theroux. <laughs> it's Justin... Th- imagine a, a world where Justin Theroux is the shy boy with a stammer <laughs> and and a cowboy hat. I just love I just So love that. bonkers. It's so bonkers. We've never figured out what to do with Justin Theroux as a society, have we? <laughs> I know what I'd do with Justin Theroux. <laughs> No, we haven't. Nobody has. Nobody has, yeah. Like, Nobody I mean, has. he got two goes at Sex and the City. Very few people have that. He was on Friends as well. Yeah, and... Yeah. And he, and he married, or was he engaged to I can't quite Jennifer remember. Aniston. No, I think they were engaged. Yeah, I'm not sure it ever... I saw yeah. him once in the West Village in New York. Ah. Huh. Yeah. And my first response, rather than Justin through, was like, brain dead redneck asshole! <laughs> yes. Yeah, there we go. Beautiful. Um, Richard, this has been a delight. An unmitigated delight. Thank you so much. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. Oh, and um, I couldn't find my top. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about um, your books. This is your first book. Uh, anything you can cook, I can cook vegan. Yes, this is my first book. It has nothing to do with what we've just talked about, but we connected via Instagram and this is very much something that's grown out of my Instagram presence. But yeah, this yeah. is my first cookbook. It's called Anything You Can Cook, I Can Cook Vegan. And I will go out there to say it's the funniest vegan cookbook that <laughs> that you will read. Maybe the funniest cookbook you'll ever read. It's just wow. it's just stupid. <laughs> it's just really stupid. And I think lots of cookbooks in general are very earnest. Um, but it's very uh, nostalgic. It's very personal. I shot, styled, and made all of the food. And what you shot this all, all yourself? Yeah, it's all me. It's all oh me. my god! I cannot wait to cook something from this. It's my and read it just as a as a text. It's my high school yearbook essentially. Oh, <laughs> this is lovely, and I hope everyone like I um you know I. Uh, eat meat and animal products but I'm getting ready as I said to you earlier I'm getting ready to start phasing out meat out of my life it, not in a, like a dramatic way mm-hmm. but in like a I don't need to eat as much of this as I am kind of right. way sure. and I, I'm really you know and, and I think most of the time I buy meat because I have no ideas yeah, rather than sure. because I have you know any real fondness for it which is silly you know like yeah. I just buy a packet of lardons because they make rice taste good you know yeah I call them in the book I call them it'll do recipes we all have like yeah. eight six to eight it'll do recipes yeah. that we just throw out there and not that I'm trying to twist your arm into being a vegan but yeah. really all you have to do is veganize those recipes and you can be a vegan because yeah. that's all we you know we all just cook those recipes on repeat anyway but um but yeah, this book is for everyone. It's not for it's not for vegan. In fact, yeah. I'd say it's not for vegans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's for everyone. It's for people wanting to wanting to explore how to how to eat less meat, how to eat 
less animal products. And it feels like if Romy and Michelle were going to make a vegan cookbook, it has all Are that you trying kind of, to make me cry? Do not say that. All this brightness and all this joy and it just feels so accessible and like... Oh my god, there's you in a thing of corn here. Yeah. Is that you? No. That's me, that's me. Oh wow. Yeah, that's me. Anyway, everyone should buy it and follow you on Instagram because you're a delight. Thanks, and Caroline. Yeah. You're a delight. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. <laughs> Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com